All right. Here we go. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Woo! Today's cool fact of the day is that over time, your hippocampus shrinks if you're normal. Hippocampus is a part of the brain that's a relatively sizable part of the brain, and as you age, it naturally shrinks. But if you do it right, it doesn't have to shrink. And because of all the stuff that's in Headstrong and all the stuff, frankly, that's in the Bulletproof Diet and meditation and just the entire lifestyle, I've, uh, I've actually got 86th percentile hippocampal volume for my age, which means in my N equals 1 study, you actually can keep your brain from shrinking as you age. And I would highly recommend that you start doing that because who wants a shriveled up old brain? That doesn't sound like very much fun, right? Wait, your brain is kind of shriveled up anyway. That's how they look. But anyway, we won't go there. This is an episode of Bulletproof Radio, if you're listening in your car, that we're recording live in Chicago, which is a fantastic thing because you'll hear the studio audience, which is awesome. Studio audience, thank you guys. And as usual, if this show is helpful, if you'd leave us a five-star review, that'd be cool. But to be perfectly honest... As I'm recording this show, literally a half hour before, I just got the news that Headstrong, my new book, hit the New York Times bestseller list, making me a two-times New York Times bestselling author. So, That means that whether you're listening in your car or at work or here in the audience, your job is to go to Amazon and leave a review. Because if you leave a review on Amazon for the book, it's one of the simplest things you could do to say thanks for the thousands of hours that go into writing it. It doesn't cost you anything, but it really, really matters. I read every single review on Amazon, so if you take a minute to do that, I appreciate the heck out of it. Now, today's guest on the show is Josh Perry. Josh is a professional BMX athlete who's currently one of three Americans in the top 10 for, how do you say this, Josh? F-I-S-E. Uh, it's the FIES in a UCI BMX World Series. All right, FIES. Is that French? Yes, it's actually originated in France. See, I live in Canada, and I still can't pronounce French words. <laughs> I mean, all of Canada is now shaming me right now, except the left half where they don't know how to speak French anyway. There. Now I've offended the right half. Oh, my God. What will I do? And the interesting thing about Josh, aside from the fact that he's like top in the world in his sport, or at least one of the top, I'm sure that like the top 10 are always wrestling over who's the real yeah. top, right? But all right, no, uh, no ego among athletes. But when Josh was 21, an MRI showed he had an eight centimeter tumor in his brain. And for non-Canadians, eight centimeters translates to big ass. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And you had the tumor successfully removed, but two more grew back post-surgery. And then through your own research, you started looking at what health really is and what performance really is. And you created a personal treatment plan with diet, mindset, lifestyle, and a bunch of targeted medical procedures. So what we're going to talk about is being a pro athlete and not just that, but an extreme sport pro athlete. And at the same time, realizing that you have sort of a life-threatening situation here. I want to chat with you in the show today about what that was like. So now that you've been properly introduced, guys, welcome to Josh. Thank you. 
how the heck do you find out you have an eight centimeter tumor in your head? Um, so it was March 2010. I was actually training and I tried a trick in the foam pit. That's what uh, gymnastics. We learn tricks in the foam pit and then we take it to the ramp. I did about 10 in the foam pit, felt pretty good, and then went and did one on the ramp, and I overcompensated the rotation. So when I landed, I had whiplash in my head and had to get an MRI just to make sure there's no swelling or bleeding, and that's when they revealed a uh, 8-centimeter mass that actually was about 4 centimeters deep, too, pushing on my optic nerve. And, uh, yeah, it definitely wasn't what I expected. Are you grateful for that wipeout? Yeah, actually, BMX saved my life, and that's what people tell me all the time. That's going to be the worst thing that ever happened to you, and it's really not. It's it's all about perspective, and I've changed my life 180, uh, 180 degrees and been able to help people with my story and kind of lead um, by example to the younger generation how to take care of yourself and proper helmets and mouth guards and nutrition. How far along in your career were you? Like, How far, how far back was this? How old are you now? Um, 28. You're 28, okay, and this happened what year? Uh, 2010. Okay, so it happened a couple of years ago, seven years ago. So yeah, you're 21. Actually, the 16th will be seven years from surgery. Okay. And where were you in your career at that time? Um, that was uh, the year after I won my first pro contest, beat one of my favorites uh, watching growing up. And uh, I was pretty stoked about that. First year riding X Games and uh, continuing on the Do Action Sports Tour. And uh, it was about three years after I had moved to Greenville, North Carolina to train. I left home when I was 17 to pursue my dream of becoming a professional BMX athlete. Now, you'd had some stuff going on. Like, you went to the doctor, you had migraines and throwing up, vision problems, which is sort of inconvenient when you're on a bike, right? Yeah, especially when you're going upside down. <laughs> what did the doctors say? Um, well, it was about a year uh, prior that I'd been having symptoms of, you know, gnarly headaches, migraines, and... Uh, it actually got towards the end where I found out it was because I was pushing on my optic nerve that my vision was going and I couldn't see my hand in front of me. It looked, it was like five and, um, yeah, it was just, it was pretty surreal because they just kept telling me, no, you don't, I, I requested an MRI. I was pretty ignorant to it at the time, but I was like, I don't think headaches are something that someone should deal with just because, and they kept denying me scans. Now you don't need it. People just live with headaches. And so they kept uh, prescribing me pain medication and I never took them. Uh, I didn't, they don't do well with me. And then one time it was that bad that I finally took some of the Percocets and it was the one and only time I've ever projectile vomited. And it was not the best thing, but, uh, yeah, now that's why I'm a big advocate of if you think something's wrong, like you should definitely get it checked out. Like, uh, just uh, my situation would have been so much better had I got an MRI a year prior and might have not had the surgery and a different therapy. Doctors are actually trained uh, to, if you have more than a couple symptoms, to basically tell you it's all in your head. And this is actually in the training. It's like, oh, if they have more than three or four, it's probably hypochondriac. More than 10, definitely hypochondriac. So did they like blame you? No, they just basically said there's nothing wrong with you. Like headaches yeah. are just something you have to deal with, and I was like, "That's I don't think so." Like you're, you're like I'm a pro BMX rider, and you're telling me to man up. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> basically, yeah. How did you feel when the doctor told you that? Um, told me that like basically, you, you know, just deal with it. Oh, I just was at the time they're like an authority figure to me, yeah. not knowing really much about health and you know taking care of myself. So I just oh, they, they're a doctor, you know, they went to school, they learned all this, they they know best. And you know, my experience that's if I had listened to them and if I didn't fall and hit my head, I would have not woken up one day. Wow. When when you found out what it was, did you go back to the guy who told you it's all in your head and like did he apologize? He, he actually diagnosed me. Okay. Did he apologize? 
Uh, no. <laughs> uh, he, and to be fair, he might have. Yeah. Um, you might but, not remember. But midway of him telling me, you know, it started, yeah, we got your MRI results. There's something in your brain that shouldn't be there. And it's not, we don't know if it's benign or cancerous, but it's a, it's a tumor. And then when he said that, my, everything just shut off. And I remember eventually I got up and walked out and some of the nurses tried to stop me and I just was just focused on getting out. And at the time, I just ignorantly just thought my life was over. And I was like, I just got diagnosed with cancer. And at the time, I didn't know benign to malignant. I didn't know the difference. But that's just what went through my head. And so I just, he might have said sorry, but I don't remember. (laughs) Would you describe yourself as like health conscious or were you just sort of like French fries and hot dogs and beer? Uh, (laughs) People, it's so funny because when I tell people what I used to eat, they're like, no, no way. (laughs) Like I used to go through a two liter Dr. Pepper a day just because it was cheaper than water. And I was in shape. Doctor said I was healthy before, you know, the symptoms and the. It's all about calories. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I was young, I was fit, I was active every day, so I was healthy. I might have had the same sort of thing happen when I was young. I'm like, oh, I can have a few Cokes. It's just carbs, right? But there's a difference there. And and certainly my doctors weren't the ones who told me that. Uh, My experience is that that physicians are are very well-meaning. And they're usually trained not to apologize also because they want to get sued. Yeah. Uh, but the, the bottom line is, is that you know, they all want to help and they're always doing their best and they're always pressed for time. And when someone comes up who looks really healthy but isn't, mm-hmm. I think it's harder for anyone in the field versus someone who comes up who's you know, falling over all the time. Like, okay, well, yeah. that, that's clearly something's wrong here. Yeah. So we're all subject to that, that human error thing. What did you decide to do? When you have this, okay, I have cancer, I, I may die, I'm young, but all of a sudden now I might have a very short life. What went through your head and what did you do? Um, like I said, I walked out, sat in my car, and called my mom that when I could collect myself a little bit. She answered, and I couldn't speak for like five minutes. And she knew something was wrong. I just couldn't get the words out. Yeah. And then um, what was going through my mind was, I was like, oh, man, like I'm not going to be able to ride it again. Like, that was the first thing. I didn't think about my life after at that point. I was just like, I just, I'm living my dream. You know, I'm riding with my heroes. I'm a friend with Dave Mira, like someone I looked up to my whole life growing up, and just won my first contest, rode X Games, and like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And so I was trying to think of like, like who am I going to give my bike to? Who am I going to give my belongings to? Wow. And it was just the, such a crazy experience. Has that affected the way you think about your life now? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, through my experiences, I've just become super grateful for being alive and progressing on my bike and just have a different perspective of life. And I don't really look at things as good or bad. I just kind of look at them as a learning experience. And your perspective on something can make something bad or good, just depending on how you look at it. So I just try to foster that positive mindset when things happen. I'm like, all right, what can I learn from this? When you decided to get surgery... And you, you were you know, laying there on the table. They're about to put you under. What did you think about then? Well, the experiences leading up to that, they put a, um, a camera up my groin in the vein to my brain to shut off one of the arteries so I wouldn't bleed out. And that, when they told me what was going to happen, I was like, what? <laughs> you can do that? Like, from there? Okay. And, you know, the... They just kind of progress with, you know, the different, here's some medications. They put a bunch of these uh, dots to, like, measure different things on my head. And then uh, they're like, yeah, say, say goodbye. And, uh, my girlfriend at the time, that was, like, the first time I said I love you to her. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to wake up. And I, you know, I, like, prayed to God. And I was just like, I don't know what's going to happen. And 
So I just try to let everyone know that I love them and kind of hope for the best. How were you when you woke up? Oh, it was amazing. I <laughs> The list of complications I had to sign paper for was endless, and paralysis, strokes, and death were among the top of them. And so when I woke up for the first time in about a year, pain-free, I could speak, I could see, I could, you know, move. I was, just, I saw my family and my friends and I was just like, wow, like I'm awake. Like that was so crazy. And, uh, I had a catheter in, and I never had had one of those. Oh, those suck. <laughs> and I was like, oh mom, I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta pee like really bad. She's like, just go, just go. Like you're fine. And I was like, well, <laughs> no, like I'm in bed and you go to the bathroom. And you know, I was a little drugged up at the time. And like, I tried to pull it out. Like, oh. <laughs> And they're like, no, don't do that. Just, just go, man. Just go. And so, <laughs> so, yeah. Catheter stories, my favorite. <laughs> Having had three knee surgeries before I was 23, I've experienced the mighty catheter myself. And mm. uh, yeah, we just won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you came out of this and you were grateful because things worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I've ever talked about this. Uh, my mom had brain surgery. She had seizures um, most of her life for epilepsy, and eventually uh, she went to Stanford. And they told her, you might have some minor issues when you woke up. And minor issues included oh, needing almost a year of recovery, answering the phone with her stomach, and you know, just being really, really incoherent. So, so watching recovery from brain surgery can be just, just really a problem. And yeah. in your case, it sounds like you, you came through pretty quickly. The only negative problem I had was I couldn't move my right big toe for two weeks and that tripped me out so much I just was just staring at it and I was like move move (laughs) then two weeks later I saw it kind of move and then that was that but it was just you have to wait four weeks for the bone to fuse back together and just being so careful like I hit I bumped my head getting into my car like three weeks in and I just I'm okay I'm all right okay like and that happened twice and it just it freaked me out but yeah I, I came out pretty uh Pretty, uh, pretty lucky. How long was it before you found out that the tumors came back? Um, so it was September 2012. We were doing some BMX demos in India. And my mom emailed me from a scan that I had prior. Hey, when you get some time, I need to talk to you. I was like, oh, you sh- obviously something's wrong if you're not going to tell me what's going on. And so I Skype called her. And that's when she told me. But she refused to tell me until I got home. I was like, well, you got to tell me now. And uh, Moms. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you shouldn't have gone about that way, but you know, um, but I, I emailed my surgeon and I was like, oh man, like, should I come home? Should I book a flight home? I got two more days left of this trip. And he said, it's not that big a deal. Like there's small areas, but they're a result of the original tumor was located on a main artery in my brain and he couldn't risk getting all the tissue in the cells because if he hit that artery, I'd go into a stroke or paralysis or have to have a shunt or, you know, it could die and all these things. So. He came to you and said, hey, let's use radiation on your brain. And you didn't like that idea. No. <laughs> he said Why? that He said that they were too small to have surgery. And I was like, yeah, I don't really want to go through that again. I don't want all the chemicals in my body. At this point, I started, started getting into holistic nutrition and health and kind of learned a little bit more. And yeah, he just uh, he recommended radiation. And instantly, not knowing much about it, it just sounded horrible to me. And... So I did some research on Google, and then a couple hours later came across a technology called gamma knife radio surgery. And then um, that it, at, the, at the time when I found out, I was like, well, you said not to have surgery. This says gamma knife. So not really sure like how this is going to work. And the more research I did, it was just basically an outpatient procedure. 
and uh, great success rates, and it just seemed like the best fit. So you really went to Dr. Google? Yeah. All right. And <laughs> when you went into your surgeon, who in his 12 years of medical school and 20 years of clinical experience told you to do an old school treatment, and you're like, now I want to do something new, how'd that go? Um, well, he, he had known about it, I think, because when I told him, I was like, I'm going to go with this. He's like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, that's the way. I like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, all right, well, sounds good. I'll go through with that. And that's why I'm, you know, I try to be an advocate of promoting these types of technologies that aren't very well known. And had I got an MRI a year prior to getting diagnosed, it would have been small enough that I could have had the gamma knife and I had to have my skull cut open and be exposed to all the toxins and everything. One of the lessons there, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, is that when you are your own advocate and you accept the incredible experience and the knowledge that comes from being a medical professional, but you're also willing to ask questions and you find the kind of doctor who's willing to answer your questions. Um, you can, you can oftentimes change your outcome or certainly just have more comfort there. And I've seen a shift in the bedside manner, uh, in, in a lot of doctors because 25 years ago when someone come in, there wasn't, Dr. Google, you, you couldn't go learn about your condition. Yeah. And it was like, you just got to do what they say because they have this you know, library of knowledge in their head. But now you dug in and you said, I want to do this. And very cool, your doctor said that. And for people listening and people in the audience, um, it's your right to ask as many questions as you want, especially if they're going to open your head up or you know, they're going to do something that could potentially you know, end your life or leave you paralyzed. And you can ask questions until you're comfortable, right? Yeah. I mean, I've always asked questions. I've challenged my parents and my friends growing up. So. Well, you are a BMX. Yeah. Worker, I mean. <laughs> it wasn't anything new to me. But cool. that's, I'm just a firm believer now that no one knows your body better than you. And if you have someone telling you there's nothing wrong and you know there's something wrong, like the best thing to do is get it checked out just to cancel it out. Because in my case, if I hadn't hit my head that day, I might not be here. Okay. You talk about how your life lesson from this is listen to your body and your intuition. What does intuition have to do with all this? Well, when you have like a gut feeling, it's it's a reason, you know, and I knew something was wrong and I could feel it uh, besides the headaches, but I just knew there was something not right. And being like ignorant to doctors and health and all that, like uh, they know best, you know, so I just, that's what I went with. I ignored my intuition and I've noticed it with injuries on different tricks. If I had a gut feeling about something and I went and went against it, I ended up falling and I got hurt or something. How do you know the difference between intuition and fear? Oh, that's a fine line. <laughs> but from, you know, what I believe in is fear is just a thought and that you can change your thoughts. And actually the first tattoo I ever got, it says fear is just a thought. Thoughts can be changed. And so fear, and I've learned to assess, like, is that coming from me? Is that coming from a past experience or someone else? But if I, you know, go with my gut, my intuition, it, for the most part, it's usually right. You've probably read some of the books about flow state and, and things like that and extreme athletes. There was Rise of Superman a while back. Um, do you use a flow state when you're when you're I'm actually not sure what that is. So a flow state is is this idea that, that when you get into like an aggressive move or something where you're pushing your limits, your mind goes somewhere else. Where mm-hmm. instead of thinking about everything, you can't think fast enough, so you go into this state where you get kind of a euphoria. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you experience when you're writing or are you like so technically precise that you're sort of always in control? Well, it's pretty crazy because like what we do in the matter of two seconds, upside down, spinning our bike, twisting and all that, yeah. like it just happens and you have to trust it and it, you build it up over time. 
And so, yeah, I guess so. Like, it's just something you feel. And that's where the intuition comes in. Like, you can feel it. And you do it long enough. You practice long enough, just like meditation. You can start to get a better feel for it and better practice with it. After your surgery, when did you stop the two gallons or two liters of Dr. Pepper? Like, when did you change your diet? Um... So after the first surgery, a friend told me to watch Food Matters on Netflix, and that's what sparked the interest in food for medicine and healing. And then I kind of got into it a little bit, started maybe taking some vitamins, which I found out were just a waste of money because I was just getting generic synthetic vitamins. And then um, after the Gamma Knife, that's when I really took note on like, all right, because I went through a phase where the first time I got diagnosed, I, you know, I was scared. I thought my life was over. And the second time, I had a little bit of that. And it lasted maybe a couple hours when I was on a train ride back to the airport. And I just was determined to not let that affect me and not take over my life. All right. Now, we were looking at uh, your diet. And what happened to your tumors when you were on your diet? Um, well, I think it was a combination of getting onto the more keto diet and then the gamma knife. And I, you know, you can't, I, I don't think you can tell which one did it because I had the, the both of them or I had the, sur- the treatment and then practice the um, keto diet and I really think that that's I was I did the math and I was eating so much sugar a day and then I learned a little bit about blood sugar fueling different inflammation infections and tumors and then I was just like man like this needs to stop and uh, then I just started getting more into that and I really think that that's what attributes to a lot of the shrinkage of the tumors and then just my overall health and my ability to recover and my strength and my energy just it all just makes so much sense. And if your body's not in stress and survival mode, then you're going to be more healthy. That certainly has been my experience as well. Yeah. Right. All right. You've had some other weird injuries. Like I, I'm always fascinated with people who are incredibly resilient psychologically and, and physically. Right. So then you, like you blow out your knee a couple of years ago and yeah. you, like you just keep doing this and you keep coming back. Like what, what makes that happen? Uh, it's just the love for what I do. It just, I don't feel as fulfilled in life with anything else. The feeling I get of just everything. And then like when you work on a trick for so long, like, I mean, I've learned to accept failure as a part of life and you learn from it. And what I do and people that do what I do, like we fail more times in a day than people do in a month. And then when you can learn to excel from that and to move on and progress, it just, that feeling of satisfaction of learning that trick or landing it. And like, it doesn't, I don't know. And there's just freedom. Like I've been able to see the world because of what I do on my bike. And if I had lived my dream or tried to live my dream of going to the NBA when I was younger, I don't know <laughs> if it would have worked out so well. I'm a little short. <laughs> well, that uh, willingness to fail is I think uh, a hallmark of almost every great athlete mm-hmm. and pretty much people who succeed in all other things I've seen. What happened when you really started cutting out inflammatory foods? Like, how did you figure out about that? Um, a friend of mine got me Dr. Perlmutter's book, Grain Brain, in 2013. All right. Love Dr. Perlmutter. And I uh, became a big fan. And then the next in, in year... Fact, there's his quote on the back of the book. Okay. So. <laughs> and then um, the next year, I enrolled in the Institute of Integrative Nutrition just to kind of learn more about all the conflicting theories of nutrition that I was learning and what works and what doesn't. And a big term they use was bioindividuality. So like what works for you might not work for them and vice versa. And then I got exposed to Daniel Amen and Mark Hyman and started really learning about protecting my brain with my food. And then it just kind of kicked off from there. So what do you do now for food? What are your food, food rules? 
um, I pretty much follow the bulletproof rules. You know, I whatever can help my gut and my brain. So, you know, a big change for me in the last year of being exposed to bulletproof was, of course, the grass-fed butter and all the conflicting things of that in the past. And I was like, oh, really? Like, grass-fed butter, grass-fed beef? Like, you're not supposed to eat red meat, like, that much. And so things like that. And then um, experimenting with different vegetables and grains. And, you know, from Dr. Perlmutter's work, I, I learned a little bit about, you know, gluten and stuff like that. So I, I, don't, I don't do that. I cut that out. I also went 100% on that recently because uh, a friend of mine, his daughter has autism, and when they take that out of her diet, she does so much better. Her, fi- her skin clears up, her speech improves, and I told her, I was like, all right, we're going to do this together. I'm going to support you. You're going to support me, and we'll do 100%. So. And then a new thing is coffee. And I started experimenting with coffee after uh, reading Brain Maker from Dr. Perlmutter, and then I saw a uh, video he did talking about Bulletproof. And then, coincidentally, you guys did an episode together, and I was like, I'm going to give this coffee thing a try. <laughs> i, I got to say, Dr. Perlmutter, if you ever get a chance to meet him, he's... And, and have you met him? I have not. Uh, just uh, okay. the video that we did together. All right, I'll... Uh, he's supposed to be in North Carolina this month, he said, so we're going to yeah. try and meet up. It, it's, it's worth it. He's one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met. Like, you, you ever get a chance at a conference or whatever to see him, just... 10 times more knowledgeable than I am and completely grounded and down to earth. And, uh, I, I think that the technical term, I'm still working on my millennial, but he, he doesn't give a F about critics at all. And he's, you know, triple board certified and just completely willing to just go there and say the truth. So I, I have huge admiration for him. Uh, and I'm happy to see that his work helped you out because it's, it's cool. Yeah. Definitely learning all the nutrition theories and things kind of, led me to in a state of anxiety and depression for a while, scared to eat. And I lost 20 pounds because I was like, everything turns to glucose eventually. Like, I can't eat anything. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> and then a friend of mine told me, you're looking pretty skinny, man. Like, yeah, you're usually not that skinny. And then his work and then getting introduced to Bulletproof just seriously cleared all these different things for me. And I've never felt better. And my mom's like, you drink coffee now? Like, I've been, I drink coffee all the time. And like, you always don't want any. Well, yeah, I learn, you know, that's how it's life. I, I consider it to be a performance enhancing substance, but that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like 2000 years of history. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I show up to the skate and bike park with a uh, coffee in the mornings. Nice. And, uh, yeah. I'm just, it's funny because everyone's like, what are you drinking? Butter and MCT oils. And brain octane, you know, <laughs> All coffee. the good stuff. <laughs> no sugar, you know? <laughs> What's going to happen next? Like, like, what are your plans now? You, you've sort of got this divided career where you're still writing, but you're also starting to talk more about health and about this kind of incredible odyssey you've been through. Yeah, so um, I'm in the beginning stages now of starting my foundation, the Josh Perry Foundation, and working with the company that invented Gamma Knife. Uh, they're named Electa. And the project we're working on is global BMX shows, like demos around the world at different facilities to promote um, you know, awareness of different technologies, food and health, and BMX, because BMX is fairly small. So I want to use my experiences and my uh, fortunate you know, life to share more about you know, the things I've learned. So that way people don't have to have a catastrophic event like I did to kind of open up their mind to different things in life. And so that's kind of my main goal, and kind of branch out of BMX. Like, Use BMX as my vehicle, but I ultimately want to share my story so I can help people. That's what I'm really passionate about now. Uh, there have been a few other people who have done that sort of thing. Yeah, thank you. That's why, um, you know, like you, Perlmutter, and Mark Hyman, like 
they have these amazing stories of health complications they went through or, you know, Perlmutter has to look at his dad across the street with Alzheimer's and they have a, a bigger mission in life than just to do the normal thing. Like they want to help people. And so, you know, like I said, people tell me like, oh, it's gonna be the worst thing ever. And it's like, well, not really. I mean, like what I went through has really changed me and changed my goals in life. And I want to leave something behind when I'm gone. And I ultimately just want to help people and expose my sport too. So I think it's pretty cool what we do and it's not well known. <laughs> well, uh, n- nice work on the gratitude there. That That is really hard to do. And there are a lot of people in your same, similar situation who would be just caught up in self-pity and instead you've you got this amazing mindset and just an incredible amount of resilience. So I admire that. And, yeah, and, thank uh, you. Hats off, man. Appreciate it. Now, if, if someone came to you tomorrow and said, based on all these things that have happened to you, uh, I want some of your advice. What are the three most important things you could offer me if I want to perform better at everything I do in my life, not just a sport or anything else? What would you say? Um, I would tell them first to you know think about their perspective on life and live more in gratitude and positivity, most important, because if you're eating healthy foods but you're living stressed out or angry and depressed, it's not going to do much. And um, then see where they're at with their sugar intake and you know the foods they're eating and just <laughs> kind of see what changes we can make and then sure. drink more water. And maybe have some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good advice, I gotta say. <laughs> All right. Josh Perry, uh, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate it. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.